welcome to the uh, podcast again, and uh, we're joined by Pete Super Novikowski and Johnny T. Evening, Paul. Evening. Hey, Thank hey. you very much. Hey, on. Hey. I, I sense I a different voice. I sense a different voice. Um, where is our erstwhile hard man at the back? Are we talking about Sean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean's, uh, Sean's pulled a hammy. Uh, Sean's pulled a hammy and will be missing out tonight. So uh, I won't say replaced, um, but certainly um, equaled by uh, having Pete on the podcast. And Pete's got uh, his uh, football training tonight, so we're lucky enough to get him pre-training. I'll tell you what, the, I'm pretty certain that the fourth official held the board up and gave me the uh, nod of approval to enter the uh, field of play here. So very much looking forward to being part of the crew. Uh, look, we're looking forward to getting a VAR call on you as well. Here we go. Too easy, mate. It's a straight red for you. But um, I think we've got some smiles on our faces um, based on the World Cup coming our way. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, a, a very nervous 2am uh, video conference waiting for the tick of approval from FIFA's conference. Uh, regarding who actually would be hosting the 2023 Women's World Cup. And it was actually a really interesting moment. If you watch back the footage from uh, FFA's headquarters, you'll see that about 20 seconds before Gianni Infantino actually announces it will be Australia and New Zealand, James Johnson gets a text message, turns around, looks at his, uh, basically everyone in the office, has a nice little smirk, and then closes his phone and waits to celebrate with everyone. And that is just an iconic moment for me. That is brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty obvious when you go back and have a look. I'm not sure if you've seen that uh, footage there, Johnny. Um, yeah, I did. But, yeah, I, um, I tell you what, I, I, from what I heard, Infantino, was, um, he was on board with the Colombian bid, wasn't he? No, he actually uh, went in terms of voting for Australia and New Zealand and seemed to be thoroughly supporting that bid, uh, well, most of the campaign, thankfully, unlike uh, the English and most of the European continent. I was actually going to bring that up, but, uh, you know, there was a little bit of angst that the uh, English FA didn't vote our way and kind of not really too sure on what the reasoning behind that would be. And, I mean, we, we can only we can only surmise. Well, they said that it was to do with the fact that they wanted that, – that football for women in Australia and New Zealand was already established and they were hoping to get it going in South America like in Colombia. Like, that was the reason they gave. That's Well, it's a, it's a good reason. You sure it wasn't a little bit of white wine fever, if you know what I mean there, Johnny? I really would have expected that the FA would have um, gone in favour of Australia, like given – you know, the fact that, you know, the historical ties and all that, but um, obviously they went with UEFA. Yeah. That's something yeah, they're going to have to live with, though. Well, I mean, as long as we can beat them in the uh, group or, or if it goes into the latter stage of the tournament. Um, we have, Pete, we've talked about before um, the impact this will have on the game in Australia and New Zealand. Um, it must be exciting times for someone who coaches in so many fields like you do. Yeah, exactly right. And you could see it on the faces of kids. Um, it, it was actually kind of funny where our first training session back after hearing the announcement, I said to uh, my under-17 squad, you do realise that in three years' time, you guys will all be 19 years old, 20 years old. You'll be able to work at this event. You'll be able to participate at this event in a big way. Like, this is something that's going to have a huge impact on you. And their eyes actually just lit up. And 
they went, actually, we didn't think about that. So, no, it's unbelievable. I think, I think, um, also, you know, you've worked closely with a lady who had a lot to do with it. I think we need to give her a shout out, someone who works tirelessly behind the scenes for women's football. Yeah, exactly right. Anne O'Dong, I don't think that there's anyone who deserves a bigger pat on the back than. Uh, and her tireless work over the last few years in terms of the women's game coming across from uh, Perth and her story as a refugee is just, it's, it's mind-blowing. So, yeah, Anna Dong, massive, massive, massive pat on the back for all her support. Pretty much you can't go to a women's game in Australia without seeing her on the sidelines with her camera. And, yeah, massively well done to her and to the entire FFA bid team. It was, a, it was a fantastic bit of work. Uh, John, um, Pete's been lucky enough to work pretty closely with uh, Anne over the years, mm. and I've been lucky enough to be in her presence as well. And for someone, she is the absolute epitome of someone who does deserve a story on, on, on like an ABC kind of show or something or SBS, because her story, as Pete just said, is absolutely amazing, and she will be the last one who will want to tell well, it. As you said, she's come from a refugee background. We spend a lot of time these days... Um, not celebrating the amazing, um, the, the amazing contribution that of that people coming from other places make to Australia, and also the fact that in Australia, people are able to make those contributions. And you know oh, what a fantastic thing. And you know, Paul, that you know one of my biggest, um, you know, uh, a, a thing that I'm heavily involved in. I'm, I'm actually involved. Pete, I coach women's rugby, rugby union, and um, you know, I just find that the passion and enthusiasm from all people involved in women's sport is just uh, its just such a great place to be around. A classic, if you build it, they'll come. And we focus our girls on, you know, the possibility of the Olympics and stuff like that. We've got girls who then get picked up in, um, in AFL and the AFL draft and the multitasking different sports. And what I find is it reminds me of being a, a boy growing up in Queensland I think one of the best things about growing up a Queenslander was that I was able to fall in love with four codes of football, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. I see the girls just doing that and playing everything. And, you know, there's so many pathways, just awesome. And, I, and I'm, I'm so happy that women's sports going to get the recognition it deserves and um, in any way that it comes, because there's so many amazing people working to make that happen. And I couldn't be happy to see the world cup actually come, especially after what happened with the last time we bid in the men's. Yeah, exactly right. Well, it's not just the Women's World Cup in 2023, but I believe Australia is bidding for the 2027 Netball World Cup as well. So it's one of those – it's part of the saga which we know that um, uh, New South Wales basically wanted to try and bid for 10 World Cups over 10 years. So, again, this is a huge impact. It's a legacy that, like – you know what, we might tease Gladys Berezekian for a lot that she does, but it's a big pathway. It's a big vision to try and have. It's a potential big lasting uh, legacy that you want to have over the sport. So, yeah, this has potential to be huge over the next few years. Oh, absolutely. And then, and then obviously, looking at a, an Olympic bid after that in, in Queensland as well, you're looking at back-to-back massive events uh, for the country and giving pathways for so many different people. It's, it's really exciting times. Now, I think something we're going to really need to push over the next uh, year or two is that they start getting some men's sizes in the women's jerseys because the women's jerseys, uh, the, the national team jerseys, are absolutely fantastic. The designs are flawless, uh, but I can't fit in them. 
Uh, I don't know. What do you reckon, John? If you got the chance to be able to kind of um, create or design your own jersey, is there kind of something that would be stand out uh, or something that uh, would be kind of like a bit more of a legacy piece in terms of women's rugby or in terms of women's uh, football kit? Is there something that you think would be a symbol? I'm a jersey collector and I also, I've also i been lucky enough to design a couple of jerseys for, um, for rugby teams over the years, the girls in particular, and you know, you take little pieces here and there and, like, you know, at our at our school, we incorporated the stuff about, you know, the, the date of establishment on the on the back and then we put our, you know, state championship on the, on the sleeve, like, you know, like the way a, a star goes on, on the football kit. I, I like traditional um, football jerseys. I, I don't like it when um, they get, you know, they go looking to make a, a statement, if you like, you know what you said. Um, I love the – you know, we – you're talking about great football jerseys. The colour yellow, when used properly, has got to be one of the most iconic football colours there is. And um, I just love to see them come up with a classic, you know, um, Socceroos strip, nothing too much. Maybe, you know, go back to the 2006 um, type strip. But uh, I actually liked them in the camo one that they played in last year too. Looked pretty good. Uh, I've, I've been a big fan of the Matildas kits. Mm. As long as we don't go to that spew um, piece, uh, I know you're talking about the camo one, but the spew piece, what year was the uh, the Socceroos uh, spew piece there? Because um, I'm certainly, I bought it and I can't believe it. Robbie Slater was in one of those, wasn't he? <laughs> exactly right. That's the iconic photo, the, uh, the spew jersey of the early 90s for the Socceroos. A memorable design that, I uh, the club that I grew up playing for, uh, Bankstown Arsenal Dragons, they actually replicated this using green, white, and black. It is as Gosh. horrific as you think it would be. Oh my god! I think you need to find us a copy, mate, and we'll put it up. Put it up on uh, only problem with winnings uh, Facebook page there. So um, I know you're off to training soon, John. And who are we training tonight? Oh, me, I'm not training anyone tonight. I'm at home, oh, sorry, I'm in the cage. Sorry, John, my apologies. My apologies. Uh, sorry, you're training yourself and me. Uh, Pete, who are you training tonight, mate? <laughs> tonight I'm working with our under-17s down at Illawarra Stingrays. Uh, we do have our first game of the season, a pre-season friendly against Bankstown City this Sunday. So very much looking forward to being back in the technical area and basically just getting to see... Uh, squad play. So tonight in build-up, we've actually got our own 3v3 mini World Cup planned out. Four teams are ready to go and, yeah, can't wait to take place and see how the two teams are going to uh, – how the, our four teams tonight are actually going to go at training. Pete, we want, some, uh, we want some, uh, someone to record some of your coaching, some of your inspirational coaching quotes uh, from the weekend, mate. So get on to that. And <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get those up on the uh, podcast next week. I'll but, see what uh, you do. You enjoy your training. Good luck on the weekend. I do want those bits of uh, vocalism from you, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Thank you very much. Have a great one, guys. See you later. Thanks, Super Pete. I can announce the host country of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, which will be Australia. We um, just were lucky enough to talk to uh, Super Pete there, and he's off to do some coaching, and thank goodness we don't have to join him with his drills. But um, we were talking about jerseys, and you know, is there any jerseys from around the world or any different periods? And I'm not necessarily talking about team ones, but more national teams. 
Is there any that you've kind of liked from other other nations? Well, I think when we were speaking to Pete there, I said that I the iconic nature of a yellow jersey, maybe with blue shorts on it, is always fantastic. I and when I say that, I mean I like the Brazil. Pardon me. I like the Brazil when they were in the topper kits. You know, with Socrates and like the Ooh, t-shirt. Yep. yep I yep. loved Romania at the '94 um, USA World Cup when Haji's and Haji's vintage. Uh, that was a classic Adidas. Romanian jersey, you no, know, like with the three blue um, on the sh- on the on the on the shoulder coming down. They had the three, like the you know the um the V shape um, thing, yeah. and uh, you know, and Sweden always looks good. I, 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 and um, yeah, who's the other one? It was yellow. I was thinking about just before. And I was oh, Colombia. I love Colombia's jersey when they yeah when they kick. I actually agree with you. I I don't like yellow myself, but then I think about the club team Norwich. I, I don't mind their colours. You are right. Sweden's produced some brilliant tops. Um, Brazil's absolutely. And that Romania top, I can picture it now. It is an absolute belt. With Haji just dancing uh, around there after that 40-metre 40, <laughs> 40 um, goal on his left. He was such a great player, man. I've said to you many times that if I'm working out the players who I really love in football, um, two great left footers, Maradona and Haji, he just sits at the top table for me. Love that guy. What a player. And, and, and both at the end of their careers – even though they might have been out of shape and, and sore and everything, still produce those moments of magic that I don't think many other footballers could ever produce. So 100% agree with you. I haven't mind. Um, I haven't minded some of Mexico's tops over the years either. I think they've been. I think they've been interesting, a bit different to other other countries. I think. And, I think with Mexico, I I look at them and I always think, when you're going to do something, I love Argentina's yeah. jersey. Yeah, oh, you're talking about iconic yeah. as well. And they're, they're, they've been mainly out of that for a long time, I think. Pretty much. Um, pretty much. And, and look, it's another country that's produced some – they either produce an absolute ripper or a stinker. I think Germany's produced a lot of good kits over the years as well, and yeah. it might be the Adidas thing. might be the Adidas thing, I think, Absolutely. Uh, as well. Do you remember how hard it was? Well, I think Adidas, you know, if you're talking jerseys, you've got to look at manufacturers. And, and I mean, I predominantly prefer Adidas – jerseys over especially definitely over nike jerseys and um i like um you know i love the admiral stuff you know you're going to talk about classic old international yeah. kits belgium and uh, yep. wales in the admiral gear you know i remember jan kuhlman's getting around in his belgian kit or uh, go, go back as far as john toshak in a wales admiral jersey i love that stuff just beautiful I'm pretty, pretty, feeling pretty good about my heritage there, mate, because my uh, my background is Swedish, Belgium, and, and Welsh. So yeah, you might not have even known. Well, that. if you put them all together in one outfit, you'll get that spew kit you're talking about for Australia. Oh, geez, I see what I can design there, mate. <laughs> but um, look, in future weeks we'll actually talk about some club jerseys. But I think you're right there. I um, I'm like you. I collect almost any kit you could possibly imagine. I'm not a fan, and we are not paid by Adidas people. We're not paid by anyone. But the Nike ones just seem really uh, uninspiring. They're just not ins- – I think those three stripes on the um, on the sleeves of Adidas just look strong. Yeah. Um, but there has been other brands. Down the bottom, you know, of the bottom of the pile is Puma. And as a Newcastle fan, I mean, I haven't loved any of the gear they've made for us. And it's and it's funny from an AFL perspective. I've actually loved the Puma gear from Richmond. So it's uh, it's interesting. They have not produced very good football kits. I, I agree with that. Everything I've owned of Puma has kind of fallen apart. Yeah, it's it's, it's fully had... knitted, and then they've got you know when you got I look at my new, my old Newcastle jerseys, and um, the crest is you know like an 
it's obviously not like hand woven or anything, but you know, it's yeah. it's 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 some kind of a a thread. Whereas all the Puma stuff is iron on, and 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 yeah. you wash it a few times, and just it, it's no good. I mean, bar well, not just the fact yeah. I stopped buying them because of the whole Mike Ashley thing, and everybody said stop buying kits, and, and so I did that. But I just didn't like yeah. I didn't love the jerseys anyway. I don't even like the word kids. Well, I, had a, I like calling them jerseys. I had a, I had a beautiful Oitsa uh, Trinitsa top. They're a team in probably second or third le- uh, league in Japan yeah. now. Um, but I was, I was over there for a while. And they had a um, blue and yellow top. And they had a, a duck is their, yeah. uh, is, is their mascot. And I loved the top. It was a Puma top, though. Washed it a few times and all the print came off. And I'm, I washed my stuff carefully inside out, all of that. And you just can't wear them once that happens. No. You just, I don't know. I need a clean kit. It's, well, it's not <laughs> only that. I mean, the other thing about the Puma things, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... I don't know who they're designing them for when they make the men. You're talking about men's sizing. Like, if you get an Adidas jersey, you can get in it, right? But if you've got a yep, Puma, absolutely. it's like you feel like a cat in a sock and you just, and they make you look awful. And then you go the opposite end with Nike, for example. And I know there's a lot of other manufacturers out there, Umbro and so forth. Um, but then I put the uh, Nike ones on and they're like a sack. They're, they're big, but they're just like there's no shape to them. So it's just uh, it's funny because fashion does – play a part in what you want to purchase and uh when you get a new sponsor and, and you just go yes that sponsor completely suits my look um it does we do i think we well do. my favorite socceroos i mean my favorite socceroos jersey to wear is always the dark blue one from um the 2010 world cup yeah that was adidas was it no it was nike funnily enough nike was, um they, they, I, I do have an adidas one uh it's an old australian soccer federation one God, I love so, those. Yeah, but yeah, it's well, talking talk, talk about Australia, mate. We've got the uh, the A League to very little um, heralding has uh, relaunched their season, which is going to play from July sixteen to August twelve. Mm. So there's only going to be one day where there's not a game on. So they're going to have all their, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the Victorian teams, um, but it looks like they've got most of the fixturing where the Victorian teams will kind of play each other. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because Brisbane Raw play uh, Melbourne Victory on about the 28th of July. Um, that's going to be at Bankwest Stadium. So it's just they're doing a bit of a hub thing as well with a lot of to-be-announced. Um, so I don't know how the season's going to finish off at the moment there. Either. Well, they have to be cautious, don't they? Because, I mean, obviously with what's coming out of Victoria, the AFL has got to have a contingency plan. Melbourne Storm are now based up in um, Brisbane. Uh, taking all games yep. out of Victoria, I believe, um, in the NRL, uh, which they can do. Yeah, they definitely. You know, are. rugby's going to have yep. to work out what it's doing because you've still got the Rebels down in Vic. So you know, obviously the um, you know the the A League has got time to get get this right. I think being on every day is a good thing. A bit, it might be a bit like um, you know, what do we call it? The you know the cricket, the the twenty twenty stuff. Yeah, so the big bash. Yeah, where you sit down every night, you go, look, I'll tell you, what's your game tonight? And then tomorrow night you go, I better go to the gym because my wife's telling me I've got to go. You know, you might miss that game. <laughs> It'll be good. Well, good. it's going to be good for the people of the Gold Coast because I believe the only game that um, Brisbane Raw will play as part of the campaign um, in Queensland is actually going to be at Seabus Super Stadium because of all the congestion. Uh, of games, so that, that's pretty interesting as well. It's a great um, place to watch footy. You know that from the Gold Coast United days, um, and look, it's going to be like the old days because with social distancing and 
crowd restrictions should get a crowd just like we used to get. Maybe two the or three hundred. Eh? Baby, the beach is back, baby. <laughs> um, I don't even know if we should talk about the uh, the Clive Palmer days. I think we've done that to death over the years. Mr. Mensick, um, yeah, they were fun days. Remember, you know, doubling up and having to work as the um, as the medics for the team because they couldn't, you know, they didn't have anybody organised. And that is a true story. Mm. That is a true story that we were asked to uh, go now and then be stretcher bearers for a match. <laughs> Whilst we were reporting, what's his name with the current Australian captain lying lying on the deck? Oh my God! Look, yep, some of the beauty of the A League; those times won't be forgotten. So the season finishes on the twelfth of August, the regular season. Then they go straight into finals a couple of days later. So basically, from the fifteenth to the twenty third, will be the finals. So the finals, it's just going to be nonstop. Well, I think it's it's like a tournament. I think you have to approach it like a tournament, like a uh, like. It's not obviously not the World Cup, but like it's basically going to be tournament play, isn't it? Day in, day out, get ready, go, 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 and then play the finals. If you qualify, what do you make of the Robbie Fowler stuff for? I mean, and I suppose you know I've got to put my raw hat on. Um, I don't hide the fact I'm a massive raw fan. It's been a really split. Um, it's been people that have been happy he's not coming back, others who are upset in the way it's happened, um, and but. I think for me personally, I'm not phased at all. If someone doesn't want to coach my team, someone doesn't want to manage my team, I, I don't care. Does that, does, that, does that make sense? Like, I'm not saying, yeah, good riddance, you know, Nick off, never come back. But by the same token, you don't want to come back. Why did you go in the first place to a dangerous situation? Um, well, it can't be a health <laughs> thing because it's obviously a whole lot safer to be in, Australia, in Queensland than it is to be over there. And, you know, like he's got experience of living in Queensland, having played in North for the North Queensland Fury. Um, personally, myself, I'm disappointed that the club, in hindsight, ever hired mm. him. Because whilst, let's make no mistake about it, anyone who's going to be managing um, in the A-League who's got a high profile is definitely using it as a stepping stone. We're not foolish enough to think that's not the case. But by the same token, I think you've got to see out your commitments, um, you know, and the club was probably short-sighted in signing him. Well, it seemed like an opportunity to get in the papers and make a big splash and all that stuff, you know, all this God yeah. this and God that. And, you know, it's, it's gone the way that you would have anticipated, which is they probably won't win that many games and he'll be looking somewhere else for a much bigger payday. And, and well, good luck to him. Um, I don't harbour any um, ill feeling. I, I probably never had any positive feelings, so I didn't have any negative. I wasn't that invested in him being my manager. I'd rather my team play attractive football and that's... I've had a recent couple of arguments with some other media personalities and won't bring up their name about football and, you know, I, I, that I'm hard to please. Well, I should be hard to please. If I love my football, I want to watch attractive football. Truth doesn't lie, right? Like people talk about statistics and I don't want to use statistics, but if you've scored 25 goals in 22 games, is that attractive football? It's a really interesting philosophical debate and probably I'll lay my cards out on the table We've spoken many times before. I follow a club that perennially um, underperforms. I follow a club where the fans make massive demands on the style that you're supposed to play. I don't care for that position. I'm more interested in result. Um, I watch other clubs that don't have that kind of myopic introspection when it comes to getting results. And you know what they do? They get results. And what, what one person considers attractive football... Um, to me, might bore the pants off me. 
And you can go all the way back to when the um, the Serie A was the biggest league in the world. And we used to make a joke playing in the backyard, me and my brothers, which was, okay, well, I'll get on my side of the half and you get over there and we'll just pass it <laughs> sideways for an hour. But you know what it was? It was really effective. And then you can talk yeah, about, definitely. you know, the way Tick Attacker came in. Man, I couldn't stand watching that stuff. But I had people always tell – there was always a lot of people – you know how there's always a big queue of people trying to tell you what you should think about watching the game of football? Yeah. Yep. No, you know what? I don't actually agree with you. I think you play to the, to the skill set you have in your team. And I think the art of being a great coach and a great club is to be able to say, right now these are the players I've got and this is how we're going to set up and this is what we're going to do. You know? Yeah. And, and I think if – you know, remember when when the Raw was the biggest deal in the A League, and they were all, they were an awesome football team, and everyone's saying, "Oh, you know, we'll do this." No, I, I don't believe that Ains was necessarily copying someone else's um, style. I think what he was doing was he had a he had his own vision, what he wanted to put in place, but he had the skill set. Now, once those players are out, you can't play like that anymore. Yeah, it's a bit of both, isn't it? It's the chicken or the egg. Um, and it's one of the things I love talking to you guys about football, that we can have you know, completely different views on different parts, uh, different things and still, um, still love the game. Um, I do want to see attractive, fast football. I don't want to see 38 passes backwards in the back of the field and then we might lump it up with five minutes to go. And that's what I've seen firsthand from the Raw. Um, yes, 18-19 was horrific. Uh, but 1920 style of football has not been fun um, to watch. You know, I've been to most uh, uh, Brisbane Raw games over the past decade or more, and this has been some of the worst football I've ever gone to watch. But that um, goes hand in hand too with really bad results, doesn't it? Look, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and they have improved. And it was pointed out by someone, look, are, are you not satisfied with their improvement? But, you know, at the moment, the Raw's in fourth. Um, we'll, we'll just quickly look at the ladder for you, mate. And right now, we have um, anywhere down to ninth, really, is a chance to make the finals. We've got Newcastle Jets on 24 points. They've played 22 games. Um, and then you've got teams like Perth and, and Western United who've only played 20 games, and they're in fifth and sixth. So at the moment, realistically, you know, from, from ninth up to top, well, not ninth up to second can change. Um, obviously, Sydney's so far out in front. They're eight points clear of second, three games in hand. So, you know, they've they've had a great year. Um, but, you know, besides that, it's been a pretty poor standard of football across the board. Yeah, well, the A-League was having a, you know, was is really in a transitional mode right now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It and it's is. trying to find itself. And, and I tell you what, it needs to find itself pretty quickly because it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if um, if, you know, women's football takes over. I know this is probably a little bit out there, but, you know, what would you rather watch? Because to me, I'd rather watch the Women's League. And, and I think we spoke about it last week. Um, Sean was making a point that a lot of those, um, the women that we have really enjoyed watching are actually going to be playing overseas. Mm. So we're going to lose a lot of that. We're going to see a lot of good young um, female players come through. So that's going to be interesting with the Winter League we're going to see a lot of back-to-back games. The women play before the men, which um, I'm not sure what people's views are on that. But I, 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 you know, if I get to see two games of football, I'm going to go. That's just me. Um, well, I think what you'll get there is a debate about who should play first and who should play second. But oh, they can flip. <laughs> they can flip it. But if it's going to be t- TV, is going to dictate it. Really, let's let's be honest. TV dictates everything in that regards. Um, 
if you'd like, we might have a look at some other leagues. Um, we got La Liga at the moment, and obviously, uh, it's always the big two. Realistically, Atletico Madrid every now and again will, will, will challenge, uh, but with not many games to go, uh, Real Madrid's got a point break on Barcelona with a game in hand. So they've they've come out of um, they've come out of the the COVID situation, um, ready to win another title. Any thoughts there, mate? Or not really too too interested to be honest. <laughs> oh my goodness! And isn't this one of those debates about oh, it's the best league in the world? I don't know how you know the conversations we have if they go out there into the rest of the planet and out into the Twitterverse. Or I wonder how many people really feel that way. It's like, wow, this is so exciting. Not, yeah, you know, no. come on, and and it's that whole thing about. You know, oh, Messi's the greatest player of all time. It's like, really? Everyone's stuck in the moment. They're looking at, you know, comparing eras and comparing footballers and, and comparing leagues, man. I tell you, Spanish league, I used to really be into it, you know? Used to be yep. really be into it, like, around the time when Valencia was good and, and Atletico was was good. And obviously Barcelona and Real Madrid are, are giants of the sport worldwide. But what does it mean? I mean, the only league that's more boring than it to watch is probably for results is uh, is Scotland. That's because Rangers got thrown out of the top tier for so long. There's not even yeah, two. There's yeah. just one. Just one now. We we have a look at uh, look at Serie A, and you've got uh, Juve on top by four points from Lazio, uh, Inter Milan in third, and Roma and Napoli down in fifth and sixth. Once again, you go away from the top two there and there's massive points difference. So, you know, the title race there is not far off uh, solved. And this is the issue we have, and that's why the Champions League is so uh, important to so many people. We've talked about it before. Bayern is already 13 points clear with a few games to go of Dortmund. Um, So, you know, a lot of the leagues, people can say what they want about the English Premier League and the Championship, but they are generally very, very competitive, generally. I mean, obviously, Liverpool's had an unbelievable year. If you want to go and put a multi on, you know, of who's going to win every league in Europe, it'd probably only pay five bucks, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you'd get buying at probably a dollar twenty, and uh, you know, you're, you're gonna you'll probably get even money on Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid. You'd probably um, Serie A sometimes. I mean, obviously, in recent times, you, you, you'd go uh, Juve or even you, Juve's you know, historical like... domination of the Italian league is in, is insane. I think you might even find that they're the they're the longest term, most winningest of uh, maybe them or Real Madrid. Crazy because there's that, those those moments where Milan have been the team or Inter, but I think historic, like definitely for the long term. I, I don't know the exact amounts, but. Is it like they win like thirty five yeah, to forty percent of the leagues there? The league there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we, I mean, we can get that exact fact. And, Good jersey. You know, people listening to this will know. Oh, I love their jersey, and I actually love their uh, the way they got the J on there. The the, the, the UV. Jay looks so good now. It's a really good redesign of it. Um, but it just sometimes if they're on telly, I squint. What... I squint and I make a, a pretend it's the uh, Newcastle. Well, you'd want to because they're winning, right? <laughs> well, they're winning all the time. All the time. You'd get bored of it, mate. So would I. Like, honestly, if our teams won all the time, I reckon you and I, the way we are, we'd probably we'd never change our teams, but we'd be looking at another league a bit quite more closely. Um, just to highlight what you were saying there, mate, Juve are on 72 points and AC Milan are on 42. And that's Gosh. a 30-point... That's a 10-win differential. 
it's it just goes to show how you know i mean how, how far i don't say how far they've fallen but just the the lack of competitiveness italian football is uh, really so not what it used to it was such a wonderful um i mean i you know i've been to the san siro and and yep. and it's just it was electric everything about italian football i love their passion i love everything about italian football except for this area are now you know like it's it's really dull um, those big, those, you need those other big teams to be at least punching it out. I mean, Napoli is, has given a little bit of breath. It's really interesting how how they how it translate into the Champions League. But you know, like it's not like Juve's winning the Champions League every year, is it? No, and you'd think they actually probably would do really well because the Italian or Serie A has actually been quite competitive over They've the years. They've They've only have... won it twice. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yep, they have. And, and you've got the Inters and you've got the AC Milans and you've got Atalanta at times and Napoli and, and Lazio. So there is actually a, there is Roma. the basis in Roma, obviously. There is a basis of real competitiveness that just seems to have uh, died off there. Well, AC Milan now, was, argu- you know, was arguably the only team along with Liverpool. Oh, well, there's always going to be people going to argue with you, but definitely Milan was for a while the best, best club in the, in the world. Oh, 100% agree. And, you know, they'll come back, we, we hope, but there's a lot of money in the Italian game that's um, away from Italy now, like, like it is in all leagues. When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank you. Mate, <laughs> um, putting you under the pump here, there's a lot of famous quotes from managers over the years and, and stuff like that as well. And we we basically were talking about those over the last few years. Any, any that come to mind that are a little bit different to the ones that everyone always says? Well, the, the great coaches have got great personalities, haven't they? Um, Absolutely. You know, like um, Cluffy, like I'm, I might not be the best coach in, in the world, but I'm in the top one. I love that. That's brilliant. Um, and also... The great Bobby Robson, who who was who was pretty good at mixing his words up, um, saying that I think it was golf. He, he'd give his left arm to be better at golf. So it doesn't really work out that way, Bobby. But you know those those guys are great. Obviously, Bill Shankly was quoted all the time, and um, you know everyone knows what they say. But I mean, I think my favourite coach. I'd love to go and just get a list of Maradona quotes. Oh, and we spoke about we spoke about that series, you know, Maradona in Mexico. Um, you know, thank goodness my kids weren't weren't um, reading the subtitles when I was watching mm. it because he does he does like to drop some colourful language in there, but it, it seems it does fit. He doesn't do it as an aggression; it's just part of his vernacular. Uh, God, some of the stuff he says is hilarious. Well, he was nicknamed the but, Urchin when he was coming through, wasn't he? Like he's he's he's, he's a street guy, so he's a real street fighter. Yeah, and the personality yeah. goes with and, it. And, I, I, if anything, that that Maradona in Mexico showed the passion he still had for football. It really did. I, I was actually, um, it, as as a couple of the people said, and the press lady said for them, and I'm sorry I can't remember her name. She was saying this could have been a mess. You know, a lot of people are expecting this to be a mess, but he's just done everything we wanted. So yeah, that that was interesting. You can imagine the players um, in there. My, my one of my favourite sporting quotes, and it's it's not a football manager, but it was. Um... Uh, the guy who was coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL when they were expanding out into the league for the first time, and he was asked at the, that they were on the losingest season ever, and they asked him, "Oh, you know, how do you feel about the execution of your team today?" And he said, "Well, I'm in favour of it." 
<laughs> yes, I do remember you know. that. <laughs> I think half the I think half the reporters there missed it at the time. Oh, they did! It was really brilliant. Do. Yeah, it was so well done. Um, we have to give a bit of a shout out to our um fallen comrade at the moment, Shawnee. And he, you know, obviously, Sean, for anyone who knows him, is a massive Leeds fan, one of the biggest you're ever going to yeah. meet. So we'll get, my quote that I'm going to pull out tonight is from uh, Don Reeve. Um, and he was talking about uh, the winger, Eddie Gray. You better say his name right. Did I say it wrong? I think you'll find it's Revy. It is too. Okay, well, there you go. Because uh, Thank you for correcting that for And me. if I'm wrong, uh, I'll wear it. No, no, you are right. I'm wrong and I'm always happy to be wrong. Uh, but he said of Eddie Gray, when he plays on snow, he doesn't even leave footprints. Now, I just love that kind of thing because obviously he probably has pre-rehearsed it, but he still came out with it in a press conference in a time where they weren't press trained either. So that's, that's one of mine. You definitely, you definitely like to... the guys who can actually play it off the cuff, you know, and they're in their press conferences and they're just dropping bombs. Usually comes, I think, when they're angry. That's the best times for a, press, for a good quote. Well... I mean, I'll, I'll drop the, uh, I won't put the F-bomb in it, but uh, Sir Alex Ferguson said uh, many years ago as well, my greatest challenge is not what's happening at the moment. My greatest challenge was knocking Liverpool right off their eep perch. And you can print that. Now, that came from anger. And, and I really enjoyed that one. And I'm not the biggest Manchester United fan. Yeah, well, he's definitely the best coach. Well, for me, he's, he's, he's the number one coach of uh, my lifetime. And, yeah. you know, he, he was quite right. And with Liverpool being back on top now, it's a, it's a good time to reflect that, you know, when I was a kid, Liverpool was a team, they won everything. They were the dominant team. And my feelings for Liverpool never quite um, changed throughout the time when they didn't win the league. You know, you think about yep. what a great club. You know, some clubs just make things happen. I was talking about results, you know. Um, so Liverpool doesn't win the league for, you know, whatever it was, 25, 30 years. Oh, in the meantime, they sneak two two champion two European Cups because that's just what they do. You know, they win a bunch of FA Cups. They do this, they do that. And, um, yeah, many congratulations to them. But I said, Fergie, what did he win, 13 of them or something like that? It was a lot. Uh, look, I reckon he could have coached anyone. And, uh, you know, you don't have to... You don't have to love a club to respect a club. And um, just look at them now. Look at Man U now. It's, it, they can spend all the money in the world they want, but without the right gaffer, they're going to struggle. And gaffers and players, they both have to combine. You take one away from the other, it does make a difference. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Uh, now, so many, any funny incidents from uh, the football world that you can remember that you, you want to bring up? I mean, obvious one comes to me is, uh, you know, Canton are deciding to, you know, jump up and kung fu kick a supporter in the crowd. Those days are probably gone. I remember watching that. Well, you know, Newcastle's got, obviously, we've got the um, the wonderful occasion of our own players going toe-to-toe and getting sent off in the middle of the pitch. Um, <laughs> just embarrassing. It was, it was, it doesn't get any, I, I still don't laugh at it, but I'm going to understand why people laugh at us. Um, yeah, that was, that was one of the low points, actually, in my fandom. Watching that, watching your own team fight. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you know, if I, I can talk about other sports, and I know that I remember when Richmond was sponsored by um, Drink and Drive Bloody Idiots, mm. and I think in that same season we had three players done for drink driving. So you know, that's uh, that, I don't know if that's coincidence or irony, or you can choose go and look up the meanings of any of those things. But oh my God, you, you, you get into bed with certain sponsors or certain 
things. You can't really, uh, can't really blame you them. You get big personalities bring uh, bring funniness to clubs. Like I'm sure that wherever Gaza was, there was always plenty going. I'd I'd love to have had one of those, um, you know, those in behind the scenes cameras at a club when, you know, when Gaza was playing at whether it's at Spurs or at Lazio or something like that to um to actually see the stories actually playing themselves out there with him and his, you know, his carry on. So I just think that I just think that um he would have it would have been a really sad but brilliant documentary of seeing Gazza, I reckon. I, I still think there's room for one to come out, but seeing him behind the scenes, I'm not sure for you to laugh or cry at times. Well it was funny. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but but also sad to see someone that you know that talented in in a way. I mean, obviously there's the old uh, the dentist chair. Um, so I was when was that? Would have been the '96 Euro '96. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, there might have been something related with alcohol and a dentist chair uh, pre-tournament. But um, maybe we'll let people look that up and have a look at that as well. But you know, super talented and. People can say, oh, it's a shame, you know, addictions and so forth took hold. But it's some of those addictions or that addictive personality that make them the sporting person they are as well. You know, the personality, but also the drive can come from that kind of addictive personality to want to be the best. A lot of the greatest players in in any sport, but, you know, football is the same. A lot of the greatest players are not necessarily the sort of person you want your, your daughter to marry. They've got really different types of person. Some are crazy. Some are selfish, some are mad. Like, I mean, you, you know, you've got like, you go through the greatest players. You've got George Best, obviously. Everyone knows about his life off the field. And, yep. and, and you know, and and he had an amazing life. He was married several times. Amazing dude. Always love him um, talking about after he got his, 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 um, his, his kidneys, was his liver replacement? He got kidney, whatever it was, he got a new one in. And, Probably both. And he said, okay, straight off to the bar for a drink. We're good to go. Um, there was, you know, uh, Maradona, obviously we talked about him a lot. Johan Cruyff was a, a guy who certainly didn't seem to be surrounded by friends. And he left the Dutch no. program in a in a strange way, like he didn't play at the 78 World Cup. And then you've got, um, say, a guy like Roy Keane, personality, left the club at Man United. You know, him and Fergie fell apart. Um, different players have got those. Those guys are a bit triggered, aren't they? Have to be. Yeah, I think. I think genius in almost anything, whether it's um, you know movie actors, whether it's um, sport writing, everything. It, it it takes up a certain part of the brain where other things probably have to. I, I know we're going into psychology here, but true genius. You, you look at anyone who's a true genius, and they're flawed in other areas because you can't be a genius in one area and be a genius in every other. Um, you know, who, who was the guy who founded Apple again? Uh, Steve Jobs? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously an absolute genius, but not always potentially the nicest person to those who had, you know, gone through the journey with him. So true genius comes at a cost. And in these days of the 24-hour news cycle, whatever it is that, you, you know, if, if you're a great player on the field, you have to be incredibly um, careful of it to, to even have a normal to look like a half not because once that veneer's gone, it's yep. like a Tiger Woods or you know it's gone. It never comes back. So yeah, and it's I mean I've often spoken to the kids and everything about it, and and they're like, "You love sports so much, you know? Would have you loved to have been a sporting star?" And of course, growing up when I was young, I would have loved to have been a sporting star. 
Um, but then you think, I've got, the, I, I, I know about you, but I feel like I've got one of the greatest lives ever because I am able to do what I love. I don't have to be monitored. Uh, you know, if I fart in my sleep, it's not going to be on Twitter the next morning. And I actually love the life I've got. And, and, and maybe it's my age as well. I'm not sure about you, but it, I feel that I don't idolize anyone anymore, you know, it, it, because people are human and they're going to make mistakes. If I was a sports star, and I, and I, you know, you know, working with young people, as I do, and then also having a little bit of exposure to them and and their sport, the first thing I'd say to them is to not be on social media. Yeah, don't don't do it. It's just not worth it. I don't care what anyone says to talk about. You get this many people following you, and you get this status and whatever. If you really want to be good at what you're doing, be good at what you're doing. Don't be good at social media. Yeah, that'll, that'll come into play down the track. You know, those, I mean, uh, I know we've gone off the track of football here Haven't at the we? moment, but, you, you, but it's all related. I mean, you had Nick, I'm not sure if you saw the Nick Kurios uh, and uh, Boris Becker kind of feud on Twitter in the last uh, few days. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I knew that Nick was teeing off on um, Djokovic. He was, and absolutely. And rightly so, from what I saw. And, and a couple other players as well, and and then people like Boris Becker have come out and said, keeping it. This is they've said it in on social media, mind you. Okay, so keep that in mind. Mm. So he's come out and slammed slammed him, calling him a rat, and saying you should have done this in private, telling the players off. So Becker has come out on social media and said you should have kept this private, you rat. I'm not sure if he quite sees the irony in that. Look, so I'm no Nick Kyrgios fan, but. Um... He seems to be open slather every time he does anything. You know, I, I, I've actually I'm turning the corner on him. Mm. <laughs> I'm actually starting to really enjoy it because when he when the good things are happening, um, he's the same person as when the bad things are happening. And you know, you've got, whilst I may not think he's the greatest role model for my kids, he's a great role model for um, saying what you believe and backing it up. And I, I've got to respect that. Well, there's a lot of people that don't keep anything in house, isn't there? And if they think they can oh, yeah. get an advantage on it, that, that happens. So, look, I don't know. Was he talking specifically about the, the Djokovic stuff? Becker would have been better off sending a tweet about Djokovic and all the guys partying and, you know, will, willfully spreading the virus around amongst their communities. And, and look, we're very lucky. Both, both of us live in Queensland at the moment. We've spoken about the effects that could have on other sports and, and the A-League finishing it and different things like that as well. And who knows how long COVID's going to last. And, you know, we're talking 2023 is, is, is three years away. Um, but if we're not socially responsible and there is no, um, I don't want to say cure, if there is no kind of vaccine and so forth, this could affect the 2023 Women's World Cup. I mean, I'm, I, I might be sounding over the top, but if we don't kind of practice social responsibility, um, they're talking about a second very bad strain of uh, flu coming out of China as well. I don't know, man. I've got it's no doubt that, world. look, everybody's been, we're going away from the topic, but, you know, we've been allowed to be blasé about the disease in, you know, Queensland and mostly, and I think in Australia, because we've been very lucky that, you know, our our institutions and what have done a good job of actually making decisions, making them quickly. I, I think if we talk about football clubs and management, I think, you know, leadership at any level is about making decisions and being decisive with it. Um, and I think you've seen that not happen in other parts of the world where it's going crazy at the moment. 
And I don't really think that – I definitely don't think there's going to be much happening next year that's much different than what's going on now. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I do have a feeling that if the 2023 World Cup does go ahead, it might be the first main world event that's going on for ages. And the best thing we've got going for us is that they could come in and be – you know, it might be the fact that no one travels with them. Yeah, I mean, we love our football, um, but we love human life and, and – um people's rights a lot more and I just think that you know uh, we've seen people even in Queensland you know <laughs> men leaving the toilets not washing hands people not wiping down trolleys all these things we take for granted um, we just need to be more vigilant we need to call not call people out we just need to remind people and you know if we love our sport we love the people in our life we've just got to do it mate I've been surprised when I've been watching the sport on TV whether it was rugby league or um, I, you know AFL with the small crowds they've been letting in what I don't get is why, if there's only 100 people at the ground, why are they all sitting on a line? Yeah. Like, yeah. What's, that, what's that all about? Like, how not about just have everyone sit, like, eight seats apart because there's a whole ground there? And it, that could be an occupational health and safety thing. They might need to, spreading people out, they might need to have a certain amount of people per space, like a certain amount of stewards and so forth. I'd like to know those kind of things. And I, I haven't actually been able to find some of those rulings because that could be the reason they're doing that as well. Um, saying, look, we, we only have a certain amount of stewards, so you've got to sit in this space and you've got to sit in that space. And I don't know. Well, that doesn't just... make any sense at all. You're trying to get the game back up. I don't, I thought visually it looked, it looked ridiculous and especially given everything else that's going on. But anyway, man, look, I mean, let's fingers crossed that Leeds stay up. Well, I have to uh, make a, a quick retraction on last week. I, I had a bit of a, uh, I'm going to make a bit of a missive here and I apologise to <laughs> um, any Manchester United goalkeeper fans out there. Because I said I'd keep Martin Dubravka and he's going to make a howler against your lot. Um, and, you know, it cost us that game. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, obviously Man United are having a much better time at the Nussen. Also, I sit here this week and we're out of the FA Cup. I think not having a crowd really hurt us. I think from what I read, and Steve Bruce said as much, he said, you know, when there's a, a gap in class between the two teams, you need the crowd really can lift you. Um, and yeah. I think it really hurt us there. Um, but, well, you know, it is what it is. It's a shocking week well, for me. Oh, I do apologise, mate. But before, before we go, um, Aston Villa in 19th and Watford in 16th. There's one point um, keeping teams in and out of relegation. So even though um, I'm in dire straits with Villa, there's still only one point uh, away from safety. So anything can happen with six games to go. Um, some results have gone our way. Um, we're not playing good football. Um, Leeds look like they're almost certainly going up now. Um, you know, they are one of the biggest supporter bases in the world, one of the most passionate, and it's going to be good to see them back in the Premier League next year for sure. It's going to be one of the best things to have in the Premier League for years. And that's one of the I, things that people I talk agree. about, you know, if you're following a team that's not right at the top, when you go down, it's just devastating for everybody. And then getting back up is not necessarily that easy. And Leeds have been away for a long time. And I think they're coming back into the Premier League. And I don't know if we've got many fans of some of the smaller teams in the Premier League, but I like having teams like Leeds. And I actually like having teams like Aston Villa. When we come back up, as much as I bag on you, um, it's, it's great to see. I love seeing those actual teams playing in the top flight. Yeah, look, 
I do too, but by the same token, we've been talking about the uh, the lack of kind of variety in, in uh, sport around the world. You, you've got teams like Wolves. Wolves are only two points out of a Champions League spot. Uh, bitter rivals, obviously, of Villa. Uh, you've got Burnley up in the, in, in the top eight. And, and there's some real... Really good stories there. I, I do fear for Norwich going down. They've had a horrendous season, and they're going to lose some real quality players because they do. They're bottom of the, of the prem, um, but they've got some absolute quality there. And I I don't think they're going to come up. They're not going to bounce back straight away. Well, Wolves and Burnley, to be fair, have got storied histories, though. Um, they do. They, 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 do. they could argue that they're big clubs. No, I mean not massive giants, but I mean they both won titles. Oh, 100%. And that's the beauty of the English game. I think that's why so many people around the world um, absolutely love it. And, and, and from, um, you know, we're obviously biased. Uh, you're Newcastle, Shawnee's Leeds, um, I'm Villa. So, you know, if people want to t- us to talk about smaller teams, you only have to look at the championship and the team down the bottom, you know, Wooten on 40 points. Um, you know, you've got Charlton on 18th, Birmingham. You've got some... Big clubs all the way down the leagues in England. And, and that's just an absolute credit to the supporters in that country. Look at Sunderland in the third tier, man. You know, they've oh. won. They've, I think that they rank as far as winning, um, you know, league titles in England. I'm pretty sure they're either sixth or seventh all time. They're right up there. And, oh, mate, I've absolutely, I fell in love with that Sunderland Till I Die show. I was so sad when I got to the last episode. Yeah, the good people. Well, you know, the, the people of the northeast are special people, man, and and, and I enjoyed that show a lot. Oh, and, and look, I, except I, for I the result, thought, <laughs> exactly. But I never thought, I never thought I'd go into watching a show that didn't have a lot to do with me, um, didn't have a lot to do with a massive team, and enjoy it as much as I have. Um, so next week, mate, we might talk about some more football shows. We got off, we got off a bit of football track, but. Everything that's happening in the world at the moment is relevant to football, and it's just been a, a really weird 2020. We just probably want to say finally to anyone doing it tough, um, you can give us a bell um, on Paul underscore football on Twitter if you ever want to have a chat. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at, at We Only Pod when we're winning. Just reach out; we'll talk football with you at any time. Probably not. I was going to say probably not three or four <laughs> in the morning, but that's usually when we're watching games. But do reach out. Um, it's a really Hard time for a lot of people. There's Men's Helpline, there's Lifeline, there's a lot of those uh, Beyond Blue, um, Black Dog Foundation. Do reach out to those experts in the field. Football is not life. Some managers might say it's uh, far more important than that, but it's not true. Gosh, so do reach out to those organisations. Uh, wow, we're doing the sh- we're now doing the shout outs and disclaimers. I, I think one of the things, and I really uh, what I enjoy is that you know one of the things. I've really gone off with football and media in the last few years is that I used to love watching like, you know, ESPN world football and stuff like that. And I, I never missed an yep. episode, listen to podcasts, you know, get anything I could read it, all that. But, you know, with the ESPNization of football that's happening, um, they only talk about the big clubs and then they talk about, you know, it literally is a conversation that's really mired in, you know, Real Madrid and, and Barcelona and and in, in England, they yeah. only really talk about Man U and Liverpool and sometimes Chelsea and and, and I find that football. I I love I love the history of the game throughout the world. I yep. love I love to hear from people who don't follow those clubs. 
Oh, mate, look, we've got um, we've got a lot of friends in common who who follow teams like Barnsley and Charlton and QPR and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, I've been to a lot of those grounds, and obviously you would have as well. And one of my favourite ever sporting days was I just decided to go and see Charlton play, and I think they were they might have been first division a few years ago. It's called the Valley, it's just isn't one it? Of the, at the Valley, and it was just one of the great days. It smelt like football. Um, they were so inviting. You know, I, I sat there. Uh, I don't think I was wearing any sporting tops. At the, I was think I was just wearing a hoodie. And they were just so great. And it made me almost fall in love with that club as much as Villa. I know it sounds silly, but just how inviting they were in that first division. It was probably half full the Valley, and <laughs> I loved it, mate. It's one of my favourite days ever watching football. I get real one of my real excitement. One of the things that I absolutely love in this world is you. You can be walking around, and you meet someone, and you're talking about football, and you say what team they go for, and if they say. Someone like, uh, and I'll tell you this little story before we finish. There's a, a young fella at our school, and they did the, um, we did a free dress day, and he came in his football jersey. And I, I couldn't work out, I couldn't work out what it was, so I went up and had a look at yeah. it because I thought he might have been like his club team or something like that. And look, I said, Port Vale. He said, oh. he said, yeah, that's my team, that's my dad's team, that's my granddad's team. That's the. I just was like, wow, how awesome is that? I was so excited. It was like, I thought that's just a great thing. I said, what do you think? Have you got a team in the Premier League? He said, Port Vale's my team and that's who we go for. Bloody love that. Mm. And it, that is exactly what football's all about, isn't it? Good luck seeing him so, on telly. I, I, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's his team. And uh, it, uh, that, makes me just, that makes me smile big time, mate. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, on our podcast again because it is your podcast, so it's our podcast. So maybe mm-hmm. I should just say thank you for talking to me about all things. I, I think we went down the Lifeline track at one stage. We're talking AFL. Uh, what else did we talk about? Almost anything. Oh, we, my faux know, pas with Mr. Infantino and his vote. Ah, uh, no, that's all good. Um, he, he'll pay us later. It's all good. Uh I think Pete and yourself missed out on uh, my line about uh, the FA and the white line fever there for Colombia, but um, maybe I should not have said that right then. I prefer. Well, we did get to Colombia anyway, and we didn't talk about any of the marching powder or, you know, Rene Higuita the for the Fatness podcast either, and and his super scorpion kicks. We are we only pod when we're winning, and we're going to speak to you guys next week. Cheers, mate. So he said, Thursday,
Well, if my Barbara rings that number, <laughs> are you going to answer it if her light bulb's gone in her house? <laughs> he said, no, it'd be my brother. Well, you're a fraud then, son, because it says you'll come. <laughs> and if, and if, if you're any good at that, he opens the bag, takes the bag over to him, takes an iron out of the bag. My Barbara's iron is broken. Fix it by Saturday or you're not playing. Walked out. <laughs> so Pierce, he's fixed the iron. He's fixed it and put it on his desk Saturday he morning. To, the yeah, iron. to make sure he played. That's how you get your feet back on the ground. Thanks for listening to another episode of We Only Pod When We're Winning. If you want to follow us on Facebook at We Only Pod When We're Winning, you'll see our ugly mugs on there, and you can join in a bit of banter, or you can follow me on Paul underscore football on Twitter. Yours in football. Thank you.